0: I'm Molly Wansell and I'm Geoffrey Wansell and for the last 16 years or thereabouts we have been having lunch every Saturday and often our conversation turns to murder
1: and that's what's prompted us to launch this true crime podcast called Blood Ties. Hi everyone
0: welcome back to the Blood Ties podcast I'm Molly Wansell and I'm here with my father Geoffrey Wansell.
1: Hello everyone welcome back thank you so much for listening we are always grateful and touched that so many of you listen and get in touch with us and send us messages. It's uh, incredibly impressive and um, absolutely wonderful.
0: We're very grateful, thank you all.
1: Very much indeed. So, another week of lockdown.
0: Another lockdown.
1: Lockdown 3.0. Lockdown locked up. I don't Um, know how many more lockdowns we can take.
0: I mean, we don't know, do we? We don't. I was having a long conversation with somebody who works in a theatre because I've got people who are attached to do theatre jobs, and I've got two that clash. But I'm like, he has to pick one. But I'm like, well, neither of them may happen. If I pick one, that one might not happen. Like you know, I think someone was saying, "Oh, maybe we'll be in another lockdown at Christmas next year." At which, by which, I'm so therefore I might as well not choose either of them. It's not. I've just. <laughs>
1: I think all you can do is to work on the assumption that providing the vaccination programme works, and that's still an an unknown, if the vaccination programme works, you should be, and I've only used the word should, should be able to make some kind of broad assumptions that by October... Things have start to return a little to normal, but whether that means you're going to open all the theatres, I'm not sure.
0: Tough one. It is tough one.
1: Yeah, but what about the productions, Mo? Are they are they all still going, or is it one I or mean, two of them?
0: As we speak, yes, a few of them have paused for a couple of weeks, I guess, just to see, like, because ha- ha- it's so bad in London. A couple of them are paused just to see what might happen or, like, taking in an extra two weeks before starting. Yeah. Um, Others are just, like, desperately trying to finish ones that were shooting before Christmas. Yeah. So, at the moment, yes, everything is going ahead because filming is allowed.
1: Under COVID rules. Mm. Yeah.
0: But, yeah, I don't know. I think it just depends how things go.
1: Yeah. I think it probably does.
0: I mean, I think... I think the government's insured quite a lot of the current the, the ones that started shooting before Christmas. So it's going to cost them an absolute fortune if they decide to shut filming down. Uh they are allowed to pause for 2 weeks and move everyone's dates without paying them more money. Okay. Uh, uh and anyone within 3 weeks of that shutdown because that's what the rule was made before they started again. But um but yeah, if they just do if they put us under a stricter lockdown, I think it would be
1: Tricky. Yeah, what I feel for my, my friends in the theatre. Well, um, the
0: theatre is just tragic, it's, it's a tragedy, desperate. Um, it's really I just...
1: did hear two funny stories <laughs> someone was offered Trump the Musical. Oh,
0: god, <laughs> I was listening to um Louis Theroux's podcast this morning, he interviews different people, and uh, he was interviewing Oliver Stone, and uh, he was like do you think you shouldn't make a film about Trump? And he was like, Trump rewrites his own narrative the whole time, so yes. you have to wait for him to die, basically, before yeah. you tell his story, because he'll, otherwise he'll just rewrite it. Yeah. So it's, yeah, there, there's no point. Well,
1: on a slightly more cheerful, or perhaps not so much cheerful, but kind of equally strange note, there was also a project around called Diana the Musical.
0: Yeah, well, everyone's obsessed with Diana ATM, aren't they? Oh. There's another Diana movie being made at the moment. Is there? Mm. Kristen Stewart's playing Diana.
1: Okay. And what's this one for? HBO? No.
0: No, it's a movie. I don't know. I don't... Yeah. I haven't read it. So I it's just about Princess Diana. It's called Spencer. That's probably not information I should be revealing, but I hope. Um, but,
1: yeah. Ah, Perhaps it's to do with I mean, I've got this feeling that a lot of this is to do with introversion, you know that you, because nobody's going out or few of us you know not many people are going out, that you tend to look inwards all the time mm. and you've got that, oh, do you remember when and and
0: oh God, so- yeah, I mean, the first lockdown just made me so reflective, I don't think I can bear another three months of <laughs> Betsy's got out of her bed is looking at me as if what is it that you want? Huh? Can you go in your bed, please?
1: Can we, can can we get bed? on with the story? We're
0: going to do our <laughs> podcast now. Um, okay, great. Let's get going. What are we doing this week?
1: We're doing a case that was suggested to us by f- two of our supporters. Uh, it's, it's the murder of a young girl called Leslie Moleseed, and it was suggested by Ian Perkins in March last year, 2020, mm-hmm. and also by Phil Brown even longer ago. Hey, it- Phil. Uh, I hope you're okay, Phil. Hope
0: you're feeling okay, long-time listener.
1: Yeah, very much so. Um, but it's a very interesting case, and it provokes me to go back to it, um, because I think it's, I think it's the most dramatic case. And so, this is the murder of Leslie Mulsie.
0: Here we go. The murder of Leslie Mulsie. <laughs>
1: Leslie Susan Molseed was born on August the 14th 1964. Her mum was actually called Anderson so she was originally Leslie Susan Anderson. She was an 11 year old British girl who lived in Rochdale in Greater Manchester and disappeared on the 5th of October 1975. Her stepfather who is called Molseed and she had a brother and two sisters. She was quite a frail child. She was born with a congenital heart condition and indeed had a heart operation at the age of three to try and correct something that was wrong with her. But we are talking about a long time ago, and surgery wasn't as efficient then perhaps as it is now. And she remained frail and really challenged, it would be fair to say she was quite a frail girl, little girl. Anyway, <laughs> her mum and stepfather were wanted to treat her like the other children in the family. You know, she was a, and she wanted to be treated like, as you would imagine. You know, she wanted to be like everybody else.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And on Sunday, the fifth of October, her mother gave her a pound, and that would, in those days, have been a pound note. Um, quite a lot of money. Yes, but she, went to, she asked her to go to the local shop to buy bread and an air freshener. She went to the local shop, but she never arrived, and she disappeared.
0: She never got to the shop. She
1: never got to the shop. Three days later, she was found on the other side of the Pennines, Wishworth Moor in West Yorkshire, near a lay-by. And... The layby was cut into a, into the moor, and she was found about thirty feet up. Um, she was wearing her clothes, and and underwear, but the money was gone. She'd been stabbed, twelve times. And, someone, had clearly become, sexually excited by. The killing and there was semen on her clothes and her underwear.
0: Twelve times is a lot of times for a tiny little girl.
1: Little 11-year-old? She she had a little grin. Again, I, I would urge you, have a look at her picture. She had a sort of rather chirpy little grin. Well, that's tragedy enough. But what was to follow was... Even more tragic. Molly is looking at her picture.
0: I'm looking at her picture, bless her. She's a sweet looking thing.
1: Yeah. And we're talking about
0: 1975.
1: Mm-hmm. 45 years ago.
0: Yeah.
1: The police, the West Yorkshire police, because you remember she's found in West Yorkshire, she's not found in Greater Manchester,
0: mm-hmm.
1: begin an investigation. Now, we are in the background of the Yorkshire Ripper.
0: Which we've done. You can all go back to that F if you need to. EPSA.
1: Four local girls, I'm not going to give their surnames, Maxine, who was 12, Catherine, who was 16, Debbie, who was 13, and Pamela was 18, all claimed that a local man had uh, exposed himself to them and one of them said he'd gone on to do it again on the 5th of November 1975 after the killings. The man they identified was called Stefan Kitsko. He was 6 foot 2, 17 stone and he was a tax clerk in the local tax office. He was born in 1952 in Rochdale of Latvian descent, and quickly became the police's prime suspect. He lived with his mother, Charlotte, and his aunt, and was, I'm afraid, a little challenged. His father had died at his son's feet, he was an only child. In the street of a heart attack in September 1970. He was, in many ways, a very sad man, although he was a big. Mm. It was said that he had a mental and emotional age of just 12. The parallel with Timothy Evans and Christie becomes even sharper, as this case extends.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He was slightly autistic, and he had one of those uh, habits... He used to record um, car number plates of cars that annoyed him, almost like the Rain, Ma- Rain Man. Mm-hmm. You know, he had this extraordinary little strange habits. Um, and the West Yorkshire Police um, clearly thought that it must have been him.
0: He was a shoe-in.
1: So on the 21st of December 1975, Kisco was a less arrested. After allegedly, they had found, and this is still a subject of debate, quotes girly magazines and a bag of sweets in his car.
0: Can you drive a car if you have an emotional and Well, age I think you can 11, if, you're t- if you if you know,
1: if providing you can manage it. They didn't used to give you many tests. I passed my test in nineteen sixty-two, and I don't think they asked any mental health questions at all. One of ask
0: the asked mental health, yeah, I
1: suppose. Um, Anyway, the thing that we have to remember now is that this is before the police and criminal evidence, before PACE. It was before any sense that you couldn't, the police could do, couldn't do anything they wanted. So this frail but big um, Kisco was subjected to an intense interrogation over the next three days. No solicitor was present. He wasn't cautioned. He was just bullied oh, to for confess. three days. He asked, not surprisingly really, if his mother could be present during these interviews. And that was turned down flat. And finally, although again this is alleged, he was told that if he could have confessed, he could go home f- for Christmas to his mum.
0: Oh bless him.
1: So he confessed. He was charged with Leslie Molseed's murder on Christmas Eve 1975. And in the presence of the first solicitor he'd clapped eyes on, he retracted his confession. Good. Saying he'd only told them so he could go home. I thought they liked it, so I just told them. It was... Oh, it would not even be possible now but it was certainly possible then Kisko is sent to jail where he's remanded and he comes for trial what the trial never hears is that he suffers from a very specific condition called hypogonadism which means that he doesn't have, he doesn't create sperm. He has tiny testicles.
0: Well, I mean, feel like that's probably quite a significant piece of information.
1: Uh, I think you might well say that now, looking back, but they didn't at the time. He was defended when he finally came to trial in 1976 by a man who'd go on to become Home Secretary, David Waddington. Wow. And he was prosecuted by a man I knew and liked, who was, went on to become the Lord Chief Justice, Peter Taylor. And the trial began on the 7th of July, 1976, before Sir Hugh Park in Leeds. Well, to say it was a, a dog's breakfast is under, understating it. Waddington tried to ra- mount a defence that rode t- what was known in the trade as two horses. He was either innocent or he was mentally disturbed. And so it's diminished responsibility. Mm. He never came off the fence on what he thought. The reality was... Kisko didn't produce sperm, but sperm had been found on, the, on Leslie's body. He was overweight and had broken his ankle not that long before and so couldn't have possibly carried her up this quite steep embankment beside, you know, the lay-by. And on the day in question, Kisko said he'd been in Halifax attending his father's grave with his aunt.
0: So he had an alibi?
1: Oh, yes. But signally, and it's one of the reasons why this case is chilling, the witnesses who'd seen him in Halifax were not called to give evidence.
0: So they're just framing him, basically. Well,
1: I think they used to call him in those days fitted up.
0: And was was he identified as the flasher?
1: Three of the girls gave evidence.
0: Saying he was the flasher? Yes. Was he the flasher? We don't know.
1: We don't know. Uh, But let's get back to that because it remains one of those wonderful unanswered questions in this story. On the 21st of July 1976, Kisco was found guilty by a majority of 10 to 2 after the jury had been deliberating for five and a half hours. And the judge, Sir Hugh Park, specifically congratulated the three of the girls, especially Maxime, who he said had had very sharp eyes and he was very grateful for her work. Um, he also praised the police, citing in particular Detective Superintendent Dick Holland. Now, if you remember the Yorkshire Ripper case, Holland was effectively thrown off it because of a failure to help Mm. find Sutcliffe. Now, this verdict created a storm. One of the girl's mothers demanded that Kisco be hanged in public. Jesus. Um,
0: That's so miserable. He was sent to
1: Wakefield Prison and his appeal was dismissed the following year. It was, in my opinion... One of the most dramatic and tragic miscarriages of justice in the 20th century. Mm. Kisco, in prison, became a pariah. He was attacked repeatedly. Uh, This is for Leslie's family. He was punched, beaten, his cell was ruined. And he became, I mean, he just shrank into himself. Um, He developed schizophrenia, began to suffer delusions And his claims of innocence he never ever, apart from those first that first confession at Christmas nineteen seventy five, he insisted he was completely innocent. He'd been in Halifax tending his father's grave. He was told repeatedly by the prison authorities that he would only be considered for parole if he confessed to the crimes, and he repeatedly refused. He was considered for Broadmoor Special Hospital for people with grave mental conditions. But it wasn't until March 1991 that he was finally sent to one of the special hospitals, Ashworth, under the Mental Health Act because of his deteriorating mental health. All the time he's in jail, his mother Charlotte relentlessly campaigned on his behalf but she was repeatedly knocked back. She wrote to politicians, she wrote to Margaret Thatcher, she wrote to the Home Secretary. No. Eventually, she con- contacted justice. And in February 1991, a solicitor called Campbell Malone forced the Home Office to reopen the case on the basis of the fact that Kisco suffered from this specific disease, hypogonadism. Well, of course. The witnesses who'd seen him in Halifax all came forward and said, well, I don't understand why we weren't called. He oh, I, I, was tending his, his father's grave that day. I couldn't understand what happened. And then, and if you like a really horrific element of this story, the four girls, the four girls all admitted they'd lied. And that they'd done it for a laugh because they thought it was funny.
0: I don't know how they could live with themselves.
1: Three of them had committed perjury. The fourth didn't give evidence in court. If there is one moment that truly chills the blood, it's the fact that the girls retracted. Mm. And at the Court of Appeal in February 1992, the prosecution accepted the new medical evidence and withdrew the case against Kisco. And he was released. The Lord Chief Justice at the time said it has been shown that this man cannot produce sperm and consequently cannot have been the murderer.
0: I mean, the damage was already done by then.
1: The damage was certainly done. One MP called it the worst miscarriage of justice of all time. Kisco, by this point, was in hospital. When he was released from hospital, he became a recluse seeing few people except his mother and his aunt. And in October 1993, he was diagnosed with a heart condition, angina, and he died in December 1993 from a massive heart attack.
0: It's just so tragic. His
1: mother died six months later. Mm. In 1994, Detective Superintendent Dick Holland was charged with perverting the course of justice, but the case never came to court. And he died in 2007 at the age of 74. So who did kill Leslie Molseed? Well, it took some time, but eventually a man called Ronald Castry, who lived and had grown up on the same estate in Rochdale as Kisco, in 1999, the forensic science laboratory in Weatherby managed to construct a DNA profile from the tiny bits of sperm heads on Leslie's body. They'd been preserved. Mm-hmm. Ironically, the police had destroyed her clothes, but they kept these tiny strips of cellotape.
0: Well, of course, they didn't have DNA profiling, but they didn't check it against no. Kisco.
1: No. Anyway, anyway he, <laughs> they did have a profile, now had a DNA profile, but he wasn't in the database. On the 5th of November 2006... Castry, who was a comic book dealer and a minicab driver... And a murderer. ...was charged with Leslie Molseed's murder on the basis of the DNA evidence. He pleaded not guilty. What the court didn't hear is that just before Leslie's murder, Castry's wife had given birth to a son who wasn't his, she'd been having an affair. He and his wife went off to have two more children, but they split up. And in July 1976, which of course the court didn't hear until after they reached a verdict, he'd abducted and sexually assaulted a nine-year-old girl and pleaded guilty and was fined £50. You would have thought, wouldn't you, that the police might look at... The
0: policing situation in this case is really getting me down.
1: The same month, he was also fined for assaulting a seven-year-old boy. In October 2007, Castri's trial began at Bradford Crown Court. The DNA evidence was conclusive and he was found guilty on the 12th of November and jailed for life with a 30-year minimum, meaning he needs to stay in jail at least until November 2036, when he will be 83. I think that is one of the most astonishing miscarriages of justice, the most dramatic story you could imagine. Mm. This poor girl dies bad enough in itself, but then you lock up and throw away the key at a man who was clearly innocent, which cost him his life. And if you like to look up the photographs of Ronald Castry, he is... Uh,
0: Don't a, tell me he's got horns.
1: No, he's a fat, sorry, large... Um, ...bald-headed man... ...who looks exceptionally pleased with himself.
0: Oh, yeah. Noted.
1: Yes. It, 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 it's enough to chill the blood. And there he was. He was a local. He had form. But no, no. The police were convinced it was Kisko. Oh. They didn't look at any other alternatives. That's so miserable. And it's so dramatic... That's what I mean. It it really is dramatic. Imagine if you were Kisko's mother. What you must have thought. I mean, it's it almost defies belief. I told you that my friend
0: Taves is worth crime. Fear is being committed in prison for a crime she didn't commit.
1: Yes. Well, it also throws a new light. And I, one of the reasons why this case came back to me was there was a letter in the Times on Boxing Day, twenty twenty. In referring to Helen's law, the new law that's about to um, be passed, in which no one is allowed to be released according to this law unless unless they reveal where they put the body. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Well, as the the retired magistrate pointed out in this letter to the Times, how could Kisco have revealed where he put the body? Because we knew where the body was. What if, what if you have a man who's convicted... What convi- if the
0: person who's, who's convicted is innocent? And hasn't... That's the issue. So they could never tell you where the body is because they don't know because they, they didn't do it. Because they didn't do it. Well, I think that's a very fair point, if I'm honest.
1: Yes, me too. And I think we have to be very careful here. Yes, of course, they're very that, these are going to be very few, but miscarriages of justice do happen. Look at Timothy Evans. We did turn Rillington Place really early on, didn't yeah, we?
0: Yeah, but... To, agreed agreed but i mean that wouldn't happen again
1: i don't think it would no it just
0: couldn't like no. not that policing isn't like that dna evidence and forensics is so much better like you no. know just I, ho- I hope i hope sincerely hope that I that, that would I, never ever happen
1: now. i i i can only hope but imagine that. but that
0: doesn't mean that someone couldn't be wrongly convicted of a crime no
1: and indeed, and therefore, we, we both know position. cases in which we have seen people wrongly convicted. Yeah, of crime. yeah, of course. Um, uh, but there is something about Leslie Molseed and there's Stephen two victims Kiske. in that.
0: Uh, there are in this in this story.
1: Yes, um, and the tra- the tragedy of a challenged man. I suppose the only good thing you can say is that Evans was sent to the gallows, whereas Kisco wasn't sent to the gallows, but mm. he might as well have been.
0: Yeah, but his life was ruined. He was, yeah, that was it.
1: Yeah, so he's persistently attacked in prison. He eventually goes even madder.
0: Mm.
1: Far, ends up in hospital, and then, of course,
0: dies as soon as he's released.
1: Dies as soon as he's released. It, it it's one of those ones that it's very hard. To see a good sign too, mm. um, but in a way, as you quite rightly say, there are not. There's not just, just one, but two. So
0: victims. awful for Leslie Molseed's family as well to kind of go through a process and then think it's someone, then find out that was wrong, and then the person who did it was living with them, near them the whole time, walking around free.
1: Yes, but also, what about the people who insisted, telling the Manchester Evening News? That Kisko should have gone to the gallows.
0: Mm. Yeah, and just those people who lied in the case as well. Just you can't live with yourself, can you? I mean, you must have no morals or no soul or something.
1: Well, I was, the trouble was, don't you think they, the girls might just have thought it's all got a bit out of hand?
0: Yeah, of course, they're only little. So. I've
1: never thought—I never thought it would go this far. Yeah,
0: but when you get older, like—but that's what I mean. Even then, you're just like you could never shake the fact you did that, could you?
1: I suppose. I suppose you kind of blot it out, don't you?
0: I guess so, yeah.
1: You must do. Mm. But it is a chilling case.
0: Well, that was miserable. Thank you.
1: Um, oh, goodness. My heart goes out to Kisko.
0: Mm, me too. It's um, very sad.
1: And even more, even more, it, the, the, you'd say the girls had to live with it. What about Castri? He knew yeah but He killed her
0: Yeah but that's different I, the, the person who actually committed the crime And has already abused other young children Like I don't think
1: they're not not sure. gonna have, I'm not sure morality and are like, not going to have much of a moral I compass. don't think
0: morality is top of his um, agenda Quite frankly um, Or top of the agenda of many of the people That we talk about No Well thank you
1: Yes, I, I'm sorry, I feel very strongly about Leslie Molesy. I think yeah. it's a very, very, very nasty case. Agreed. And the girls were not pursued for perjury and... Holland never Holland was, never was pursued for perverting the, court of, perverting the course of justice. let's move on to something a little cheerful more anyway, cheerful
0: anyway um, have you watched anything you have liked
1: oh yes I'm watching a, a show on um, Amazon um, with De- Glenn Close Ted Danson and William Hurt called Damages it's about a lawyer oh
0: yeah yeah you love a bit of a legal drama, Oh, I don't do. You? I'm, I'm, I'm surprised you haven't watched Suits, Dad, with Meghan Markle.
1: No, I haven't watched Suits. Suits
0: is actually really good. I like Suits. I think you'd quite like it. Oh, it's have good. a look at it. It's, it's good fun. So I only watched the first two seasons, but it's a fun show. Okay. Well, I think you would like it. It's quite fast-paced, you know. It's quite fun.
1: Well, that's more than could be said for The Serpent. Um,
0: stop being a downer on The Serpent,
1: Dad. <laughs> no, no, I promise, I've, I promise I'm going to watch all the episodes now. Right. No question. What um, have I? What have I liked? Um, you like Bridgerton. I like Bridgerton. Yeah, good fun, tremendous. It's
0: had absolute rave reviews.
1: Yeah, there's a suggestion in the newspaper this morning that he's going to be the new Bond.
0: <laughs> I mean, who isn't going to be the new Bond?
1: <laughs> I don't know. Not me. <laughs> no, not you. That's that's fair. <laughs> that would be fair. Um, and we we've got to do um, some more things for CrimeCon. Yeah, we?
0: we've got. We're, yeah, we we're, don't forget we're going to CrimeCon. Fingers crossed, there'll be physically we'll be able to do CrimeCon in June this year.
1: Yes, fingers crossed.
0: Um, and Jeffrey is doing a, a book club with CrimeCon.
1: I am. Yes. And True crime book book club.
0: We will put the details of that in a place where you can all find it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, on the show notes for this um,
1: episode. Hopefully. Okay. Yeah, but, um, but if and, not, you can get it on the CrimeCon website. Yeah, you can
0: go to CrimeCon UK website and probably their Instagram and that will give you a bit more info on it. Yeah. But yeah, Jeffrey's running a book club, so you read a book. And then Jeffrey's going to be doing a Facebook Live. Am I? Yeah, that's I think as far as I'm aware, that's what you have to do. And then uh, you host a kind of Facebook oh. Live and people talk to you about the book.
1: Great. Well, that's uh, another new experience.
0: Yeah, <laughs> another technological a yes, small I mean, issue is... that you don't have Facebook. No. Anyway, we'll cross that bridge. We'll cross that bridge You've when got we get this there. Far.
1: And um, I'm looking forward. To, I'm 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 reading a very a really good um, a Tony Parsons, whom I much admire, has written a standalone thriller rather than his DC Max Wolf set uh, called uh, Your Neighbour's Wife, which is I think excellent, um, and I'm a great admirer of Tony Tony's work. Um, Tony Parsons,
0: Your Neighbor's Wife.
1: Yes And Betsy's very keen To get into the act This morning
0: Yeah she really is Isn't she
1: Very very anxious
0: Yeah Betsy do you want to be On the podcast Yes please mama <laughs> No <laughs> <laughs> um, Well thank you very much uh, Thank you to all the people Who help us out Our producer Sam Brain uh, My brother Dan Who did the music My friend George Who drew our caricature To Audio Boom Hosting us uh, for To Jeffrey uh, For doing all the hard work And to you the listeners Without you enough thank you
1: everyone for listening I hope enjoy it is not perhaps the right word but I hope you find it interesting it just underlines to me how often nasty things happen to good people so please do be careful out there